If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me uh, this morning to Revelation chapter 5, and we're going to read the Revelation chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, and this is the Apostle John, and he says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll that was written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And then I saw a strong angel, hallelujah, proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And so I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to even look at it. But one of the elders said, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed. Hallelujah. Look at somebody right now and tell them, My God has prevailed. Look at somebody across the campus right now and tell them, Your God has prevailed. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And because He lives, it means that He has prevailed. You have prevailed. Our God has prevailed. So He said here, he has prevailed to what? To open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures in the middle of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He's talking to you right there. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Sometimes we talk about a third of the angels rebelled, and we focus on the third that rebelled, and we focus on the demonic, and we focus on the oppression. But the Bible says there were 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands of good angels, angels that carry the message of God that we ought to be occupied with. Can you say amen? Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing in every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard say blessing and honor and glory and power to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And the people of God said, Amen. 
Praise the Lord. Now, Father, we thank you as we come to your word and declare that in this place right now, that we would be captured by your presence, that your word would become alive on the inside of us because you are one with your word. And I thank you that your word would do what is necessary in the lives of people right now, God, that your word is able to deliver, your word is able to heal, your word is able to cover, your word is able to do whatever is necessary. And today, God, we, we proclaim that our minds are alert and our spirit is receptive, God, to receive your word. I declare it to be so in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. lift your hands and say, right now, I am ready. My mind is alert. My spirit is receptive to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Thank you that your Word will find me and meet my greatest need. Not only that, Lord, but your Word has the power. Your Word has the power. Say that. Your Word has the power to change me, to transform me. Your Word is meat to my soul. It is blood inside of me, flesh and blood. In the name of Jesus, I receive it. I declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Interesting passage of Scripture as you come to Revelation. And here we know that John is on the Isle of Patmos, which was really a penal colony, and he'd been banished there. And, and you know, they had tried everything to try and kill this man of God. But he was known as the apostle of love as well. They even tried to boil him in oil. They tried everything to kill him. But how many of you know you cannot kill the power of God's love? There is nothing greater than the power of God's love. Lift your hands and say, there is nothing greater in my life, in my circumstance, in my family, in my situation, nothing greater than the power of God's love. Hallelujah. And so they tried everything, and final, finally, in sheer desperation, they banish him to this island, thinking that he's going to be there all by himself. Probably he's going to end his last couple of days, last couple of months in loneliness. Maybe he's going to get depressed. We're believing that he's going to get depressed and maybe even be suicidal. Who knows? Maybe he might even take his life. He's been banished to this penal colony. But how many of you can see here, John doesn't allow the circumstances to dictate what's going to happen between him and God. Even on the Isle of Patmos in that penal colony, he's having a glorious time. Hallelujah. He's not allowing circumstances to dictate to him. Kind of reminds me a little bit about the Israelites, how that when they had rebelled against God. You know the story, they came out of Egypt and, and they served God for a while. And after that, they intermarried and they took the idols and the gods of the foreigners and they began to mix that. And so they rebelled and they, and, 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 and they, and they, and they left God, as it were. They were separated from God. And one time in the history of Israel, they were given over to the Babylonians. They were in captivity, in slavery. They were bound and held captive in a foreign land where the Bible says they couldn't even pick up their harps. They couldn't even sing songs that they used to sing in the 
land of Canaan because they were in captivity. And not only that, but the Bible says there happened to be a prophet by the name of Ezekiel. And while everybody was languishing and everybody was complaining and everybody was griping and moaning because they were in slavery and they were in bondage and there was no freedom in that place, the Bible says that Ezekiel was by the river Chebar and in spite of being held captive by the Babylonians, the heavens were open and Ezekiel was having visions of God. Can you say amen? Bump your name as a neighbor. Don't allow your circumstance to stop God from moving in your life. Come on, look at somebody right now and tell them God can move. It doesn't matter what circumstance you're in. Hallelujah. It might be the darkest of your night. It might be the deepest of your valley. I'm here to tell you that in those circumstances, when it is the most difficult and the most tough and everybody has left you and deserted you, that, that's when God is the greatest. That's when the miracles become the greatest. Can you say amen? So here on the Isle of Patmos, you know, the apostle of love is having a phenomenal time. And the Bible says that the heavens were open and John begins to see. And it says there in Revelation 1, verse 9, this is him speaking. He says, I, John, both your brother and companion, in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, that if you're in the kingdom of God, be sure that tribulation is coming. Be sure that you are, you are going to be tried. Hallelujah. You are, there are going to be some trials. There's going to be some desperate moments. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. In the, that there is tribulation in the kingdom and patience was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I said it this morning and I'll say it again. If this word has become revelation to you, you will have a testimony. <laughs> Hallelujah. If this word has become alive in your spirit, man, and has energized you and fueled you, you will have a testimony. Can you say Amen. And then it says, verse 10, that I was in the Spirit. Think of it. He's on the Isle of Patmos, a penal colony. He's all by himself. They banished him there, thinking that he's going to end up in depression, thinking that he's going to be suicidal, thinking that he's going to be moping and groping. But John says, man, I was in the Spirit. Hallelujah. They meant it for harm, but God turned around the bad and brought about my good, and I'm in the Spirit, and I'm having the time of my life. Hallelujah. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches. Can you say amen? So here in chapter seven, five, family, chapter five, John is seeing, but I want you to know that even though he's in the realm of the heavenlies, he is seeing from an earthly perspective. And what he is seeing is not looking too good because the Bible says that nobody was found to open this book. Nobody was found to break the seals, to loose the seals, and to open the, the scroll and to fulfill everything that was written in the scroll. 
And he begins to weep, the Bible says, because he's looking at it from a earthly perspective. And from an earthly perspective, there's nobody that is found that is capable of fulfilling the task and fulfilling the plans and purposes that God has for mankind. And he begins to weep because John realizes that as long as the scroll is closed, as long as the seals are not broken, that would mean that Satan would be in control of the earth and ultimately in control of every human being. But I'm so glad that the Bible doesn't stop there. Verse 5 says that there was an elder that puts his hand on John and says, John, my man, do not weep. Hallelujah. You're looking at it from the wrong perspective. You're looking at it from the natural. You're looking at it from the earthly perspective. Let me tell you that there's the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has prevailed, and he has opened the book. Hallelujah. And what is in the book is able to be fulfilled. Let me tell you right now, that's exactly what John saw. He's his, his seeing was good. He, what he saw was good, but his perspective was incorrect because John hadn't seen the end of the story. Bump your neighbor and tell them, I've seen the end of the story, and it's good. It's really, really good. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? You could probably look at the disciples for a little bit and kind of put them in a similar situation. Because the disciples had been with Jesus at the Last Supper, and they were there when they heard him say, one of you will betray me. And then they, you know, gasped and said, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? And then they'd gone with Jesus to the garden and were praying, and there Jesus began to agonize, and it was such a moment for Jesus as he began to realize that the Father would be separated from him as he became the sin of the world. And in those moments, under extreme duress and stress, Jesus begins to sweat drops of blood. And they'd been praying for so long that the disciples fell asleep. And they were there when they saw Judas coming in with the temple guards and the Roman soldiers coming there. And they tried to stop him, but how could they stop? How could they stand against a Roman legion? And then they had followed Jesus at a distance as they were hiding in the shadows outside the gates as Jesus was put through the mockery, not of one trial, not of two, not of four, not of five, but of six trials between the night right through the early hours into the early hours of the morning. And they had heard with everyone else the fabricated evidence and the lies against Jesus, and their hearts sank as they heard the resounding verdict of guilty that echoed in those chambers. They had been there when Jesus was whipped, so much so that he could no longer stand under his own strength, and his skin literally ripped off his body. They had seen the soldiers make this makeshift crown and press it into his scalp until the blood began to flow down his face. They had seen Jesus being punched and pummeled until his countenance was permanently marred beyond recognition. And they were probably hoping beyond all hope that when he was presented before the crowd, that at least the crowd would vouch for him. 
Because the crowd had seen the good that Jesus had done. They had seen the miracles. They had seen him multiply the two fish and five loaves. They had seen him heal the little boy. Those that were blind, the deaf and the, and the dumb and the lame. They had seen the miracles. They had seen the compassion as he wept over Lazarus. They had seen him being moved to forgiveness when that woman who was caught in adultery was forgiven by him. At least the crowd, surely they would back him up. Instead, they watched the crowd who under the evil influence of the Sanhedrin shouted, crucify him, crucify him. And then they had watched as Jesus was nailed to the cross and hoisted in the air, suspended in midair, being naked and humiliated as he, as he writhed there in agony. And they had watched his labored breathing and the groans of pain, fully aware that actually the crucifixion was really a death by suffocation. And they heard the last cry as Jesus uttered the words, it is finished, coming from out of the mouth of Jesus. They were there when the Roman thrust that spear through his side, and water mixed with blood came, and that was the final verdict that declared, he is now finally dead. They were there when they took that unrecognizable body from off the cross and laid it on the cold ground to be wrapped up for burial. And they were weeping and mourning as they led the procession to a borrowed tomb and laid Jesus there. They were there when they rolled that massive stone and that grave was guarded by a whole legion of Roman soldiers. And then after that, they took that long, long walk home to a life that no longer existed. And I'm sure that like John, maybe they were looking at it from the earthly perspective and they might have had every reason to be in despair and every reason to be hopeless. But like John, they had not seen the end of the story. Bump your neighbor and say, neighbor, I've seen the end of the story. Come on, say it like you have a bit of faith this morning. I've seen the end of the story. Hallelujah. You see, heaven's script of the ages is called the mystery of God. It's called the mystery of God for the simple reason that it's not given to the natural. It's not given to the earthly. It's not given to our natural senses, reason, logic to understand. Not even Satan understood it. For had he known, he would never have crucified the Lord of glory. When you turn to 1 Corinthians 2, it says there in verse 7, it says there, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew including Satan. For had they known, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Hallelujah. Look at verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. Hallelujah. God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Hallelujah. Wonderful. 
So Satan didn't even know what was happening. And because he never understood it, it means that he is also powerless to change it. Hallelujah. And he wants to convince you, every single human being, that God has left you just as much in the dark as he is. But we are not in the dark. We are in the light. Bump your neighbor and tell them, I've seen the story and I'm in the light. Come on, bump your neighbor and tell them, I've seen the story and I'm in the light. I've seen the story and I'm in the light. I'm not in the dark. Hallelujah. I'm not in the dark. I'm in the know. The Spirit of God has revealed it to me and I've seen the story and I'm in the light. Can you say amen? amen? You see, thousands of years ago, Satan lost his keys which means he lost all access to the purposes of God the moment he rebelled. The moment he rebelled, he lost his authority. He lost his access. He lost his keys. And he's been frantically trying to bluff his way to victory ever since. That's the tactics of the devil. When you see, when you see from heaven's perspective, the one opening the scroll who controls the ages is not just a slain lamb, but he's a strong lion. Hallelujah. And when John finally understands that, the Bible says he stopped weeping. Hallelujah. You see, what I'm trying to tell you is that the Lamb's temporary defeat was always part of God's plan for ultimate victory, and Satan merely took the bait. After Calvary, I'm, I can imagine Satan and his demons only had three short days to celebrate the killing of God's latest prophet. And I don't know if you can maybe just use your imagination. Somewhere in hell, there's the devil and all of his demons, and they're partying and having a kind of a jaw for three short days. And suddenly, here, God walks into hell. I don't know if you can see the devil's perplexed and puzzled look on his face. God, what are you, what, what, what are you doing here? You said that since the fall of man, you have given me death, hell, and the grave. Those are in my domain. Who gave you the authority, God, to come into hell? And I can see God looking as cool as a cucumber, saying to devil, looking at him in his eyes, don't you know, devil, you gave me the authority when you crucified Jesus at Calvary. And I can see the devil screaming and demons holding their head and falling to the ground. What, 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 what do you mean? That was just another prophet, Jesus, that we crucified. No, God said that wasn't just another prophet. It was me that you crucified. And the moment you crucified me, hallelujah, you gave me the victory because when the lamb was slain, the lion was unveiled. Bump your neighbor and say, neighbor, when the lamb was slain, the lion was unveiled. Hallelujah. Can you say praise the Lord? All Satan did the day he killed the lion was help God unveil the lamb. Hallelujah. He was part of the plan. He, the devil thought, this is it. I've got, I've got final victory. This dude, Jesus, I'm going to stop him healing the sick. I'm going to stop him from loving people. I'm going to stop him from forgiving people. He's just another prophet. We're going to kill him. But the moment the lamb was slain, the lion was unveiled. <laughs> Hallelujah. Can you say praise the Lord? You see, the cross was mankind at his worst. 
But the cross was also God at his finest moment. Hallelujah. When you look at the lamb, the lamb is a theme that is woven throughout the scriptures. We begin with one lamb. As Abraham was asked by God to sacrifice his only begotten son. And when they walked up onto that hill called Mount Moriah, they had the knife and the wood and they had everything, but they didn't have the lamb. And Isaac says, Dad, I see the line, I see the, uh, the line, I see the knife, I see the wood, I see the fire. Where is the lamb? Don't worry, my boy. By the time we get to the top of this mountain, God Himself will provide a substitute for you. So we see there a lamb for a person by the name of Isaac. And then that same lamb we see in the book of Exodus when God spoke to Moses and said, I want you to speak to all the children of Israel. I want you to get into your house and I want you to find a lamb that's without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. And I want you to sacrifice a lamb for a house. So we go from Genesis to a, from a lamb for a lamb for a person to Exodus, a lamb for an entire house. Hallelujah. Come on, that tells me that if there's anybody saved in your house, you ought to stand on that word and say, God, there's a lamb for a house. One person saved in my house is just as good as every person saved in this house. That tells me that God is a God of families. Hallelujah. He's a God of families. He starts with a lamb for a person to a lamb for a family. And the lamb in Exodus becomes the lamb that we see prophesied by Isaiah when he looks over the people of Israel and says, it's going to be a lamb for a nation. Hallelujah. Not just a lamb for a person, not a lamb just for a family, but now a lamb for an entire nation. And the lamb that we see for the nation is the lamb that, that John the Baptist, as he's busy baptizing, and he sees Jesus walking along the shores of Galilee. He says, behold, the Lamb of God that was slain for the whole wide world. Hallelujah. And the Bible says that it was the slain, the Lamb. Jesus was the Lamb that was slain, led up to the slaughter, and opened not his mouth as he was crucified on that cross. He, the, he was crucified in our stead. He was crucified for the whole wide world. But three days later, by the power of the Holy Ghost, the slain lamb was resurrected, and the apostle John sees him as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Hallelujah. Aren't you, aren't you glad that one of the ways in which your God is depicted is like a lion? Hallelujah. Now, if you know anything about lions, they are referred to as the big cats. Hallelujah. Not the kid cats, but the big cats. The big cat. Hallelujah. And if you know something about a cat, a cat has some peculiar characteristic. In other words, a cat can be half beaten, half dead, have most of its bones broken and all of its organs squashed, and you would think it's the end of that cat, but it won't take a day or two or maybe even three days, and that cat will somehow, I don't know how they do it, but they come back to life. That's the reason why they say a cat has nine lives. Because you try and kill it, and it comes back to life. You try and kill it, and it comes back to life. It gets run over. We, we had a cat. My, my mom-in-law's cat got run over by a car. The cat was bleeding. It's all his organs were crying. We were getting ready to do the funeral. I got the, mom, the book rights out and ready to do the benediction over this cat. We had a casket. I'm just kidding. But the cat was just as good as dead. 
And three days later, we go back to the vet. This cat is alive and well. You would never have imagined that it was almost dead. Why? Because it has, a cat has nine lives. They say a cat has nine lives. Now, I'm not talking that we have nine lives, but we got the same spirit, hallelujah, that raised Christ from the dead. Jesus was raised back to life by the life of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have nine lives. He has the spirit of life that is endless life. Not nine, more than nine. A hundred and nine, two hundred and nine, a thousand and nine. He, endless, endless life means eternal life. Hallelujah. And Jesus was raised back to life. Hallelujah. Everybody thought that Jesus was dead, and he was. But he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the Holy Spirit, that's the spirit of life. Hallelujah. Brought Jesus back. And that same spirit is actually living on the inside of you. That means that you're like a big cat as well. Not a kid cat. You're a big cat. You have the ability. You have nine lives, so to speak. You have the ability. You have the ability to bounce back. You have the ability that when the devil has knocked you and thinks you're going to stay down, no, 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 the line of the tribe of Judah on the inside of you just begins to stir. And when he gets up, you get up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can you say praise the Lord? Bump your neighbor and say, neighbor, it's time to bounce back, man. The cross, the resurrection is reason for you to bounce back. The resurrection doesn't mean that you have to stay down, stay dead, stay without hope. It's going to get worse and worse. No, the resurrection gives you the ability to look at that demon in the eye and say, demon, you might have won the last round, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit living on the inside of me, and I have a bounce back anointing. High five somebody and tell them I've got a bounce back anointing. I'm coming bigger and better and stronger and more bolder next time round. The de devil, you thought you took me. You thought you had me by my short and curly, and you might have almost killed me. But I've got a bounce-back anointing. Because why? When the lamb was slain, the lion was unveiled. When you thought you killed me, what you did really was you unveil the greater one that lives on the inside of me. That's why Paul says, when I I am weak, then I am strong. Because when I am dead and my flesh is dead, the lion is alive. Hallelujah. But your neighbor and say, it's time to wake up the lion in you. It's time to wake up the lion on the inside of you. Hallelujah. Can you say praise the Lord? Something about lions as well as they have the ability to roar. I don't know if you ever heard a lion roar. But I was close by when a lion roared. And I was saying, Jesus, I'm about to die. I'm going to come to heaven right now. The ground shook. My bones shook. Every muscle in my, in my body quivered. My teeth began to rattle as well. My hair stood up straight. Everything that could shake, rattle and roll. Shaked, rattled, and rolled. When that lion, lion began to roar, let me tell you something. Lions roar, and when they roar, they communicate their positions to the other pride. They communicate 
who I am. Hey, hey, I'm roaring right now. I'm telling you, this is my family. I'm telling you, this is my business. I'm telling you, this is my anointing. When you roar in the spirit, hallelujah, when the line of the tribe of Judah roars on the inside of you, that's why the psalmist said, let God arise let that roar, let the lion of the tribe of Judah rise up on the inside of you. Every time you praise, every time you clap, every time you dance, every time you give, what are you doing? You're letting out a roar. And when that roar goes forth, you are letting every demon know who you are in Christ. No, uh, no, no, no. I'm not a nobody. I used to be a nobody, but I came to the cross and the blood washed me. And now I'm not a nobody. I am somebody. And when I roar, devil, I'm telling you I'm the head and not the tail. I'm telling you that I, I, I'm above and not beneath. I'm telling you when I roar, hallelujah, that I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. Can you say praise the Lord? Hallelujah. Some of you, it's been a long time since you roared. I think you, you better let out a shout, a hallelujah, a roar of some nature. That's right. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Can you say praise the Lord? Amen. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. We're going to end right here. He says, but we have this treasure. What treasure is he talking about? The line of the tribe of Judah is living on the inside of you. This is an earthen vessel. God made you out of the weakest substance that he could find. There is nothing more weaker than clay. There is nothing more weaker than sand. But he said, don't focus on the sand. Don't focus on the clay part. Focus on what's the, on the inside. Hallelujah. Because on the inside, you have a treasure that the excellence of the power of God God, it's not because you go to gym or you know some MMA or you know some jiu-jitsu moves or kung fu moves, but that power is because you have the lion of the tribe of Judah that's living on the inside of you. And that's why he goes on and he says in verse 8, he says, verse 8 goes on and says, we are, and you might be hard pressed on every side, hallelujah. But you got the, the, the lion has been unveiled. Because the lamb died, the lion has been unveiled. Well, you might be hard-pressed, but you're not crushed. Hallelujah. Yeah, you might be a little bit perplexed, but the lamb died. And when the lamb died, the lion was unveiled. You're not in despair this morning. You might be a little bit persecuted, but praise God, the lamb died. And when the lamb died, the lion was unveiled. You're not forsaken. You might be struck down, but bless God, when the lamb was crucified, the lion was unveiled. And so that's why he says, I'm not destroyed. Hallelujah. Praise God. Can you say amen this morning? Let's stand up to your feet. Give the Lord a praise offering this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everybody lift your hands right now and say, Father, I thank you for your word that has come to me today. Right now, I am who God says I am. I have what God says I have. I can do what God says I can do. Because the lamb was slain, the lion in me, is unveiled and unleashed right now. I declare that I am a child of God. Greater is he that's in me 
than he that is in the world. Because a lion is bold, I am bold. Because a lion has power, I have power. Because a lion is courageous, I am courageous. Because a lion is royalty, I am royalty today. I am a king and a priest. And to my God, I'm not a nobody. I'm a somebody that Jesus made when he paid the price on the cross and the lamb was slain. The lion was unveiled. And today I declare that the lion of the tribe of Judah reigns in me, reigns in me, reigns in me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I declare you're going to have a phenomenal week beginning on Tuesday because tomorrow's a holiday, right? So beginning on Tuesday, you're going to have a phenomenal week. You're going to roar, and every devil is going to know your position in Christ. They're going to know that you're not a nobody. You're somebody in God. You're somebody in God. You are somebody in God. Come on. I know, I know, I know, I know some, the, the, the Bible says that we ought not to think of ourselves more highly than we, we ought to. I know it's easy to get full of pride. I know it's full of, we, we can get full of arrogance and all of that. But you are not a nobody. You are a somebody. Why am I stressing that? Because it took everything for God to redeem you. God didn't just give like 50 cents. He's going to, a couple of thousand, whatever. Cost him his life. It cost him the, the life of his son. It cost God, Jesus, and the Father to be for a moment separated. For a moment, the, the, the Godhead was separated. I don't know if you can figure that out, but for a moment, for you and for my sake, the Godhead was separated. When the full fury came upon Jesus, all the judgment that should have come on us came on Jesus. So you are a nobody that has become a somebody. It costs God lots to redeem you. You, you were not redeemed with money and, and, and silver and gold that's corruptible. You were redeemed with things that are incorruptible. That's not of this world. The precious blood of Jesus, the blood of God brought you back. Hallelujah. So I want you to look at somebody today and tell them, I used to be a nobody. But right now, I'm a somebody. I am a king. I am a priest. I am royalty. That's who I am. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. See, it costs God everything. Right there in Phoenix and Hillcrest, those of you that are watching by way of live stream, it costs God everything to redeem you. It wasn't just a small thing. It cost him his blood to redeem mankind back to himself. Thank you. It cost him his blood, his precious blood. And right now, whoever you are, you might be thinking, well, I, I just don't feel worthy enough. I don't feel good enough. And that's what sin does. That's the, that's the damnation of sin. That's the curse that it puts on you, that you walk around with shame. You walk around with embarrassment. 
You walk around heavily loaded with guilt. That's what it does. And that guilt cripples you. And that guilt stops you from becoming the person that God created you to be. And all it does is just keeps devaluing you and rendering you worthless and worthless and worthless until you begin to hate yourself. That's what sin does. But today you, you, you have no need to fear because when God looks at you, He doesn't look at you through red eyes and smoke coming out of His ears and He's, and he's like fuming. He's ready to hurl down lightning bolts and thunder upon your life to teach you a lesson. He did that all on Jesus. So when He looks at you today, He says, I know what you did and I still love you. And I can look at you and love you because my love is unconditional. So no matter how bad you are, I still love you. No matter how good you try and be, I still love you. My love for you is the same. As a matter of fact, I want to tell you, the same love that I love Jesus is the same love that I love you. Think about that for a moment, family. Think about that for a moment. The way the Father loves His Son is the way He loves you and I. And that can never be changed. That's incredible. It really is incredible that. So right now, the only thing stopping you from coming to God is you. Or the voices of shame and condemnation and embarrassment. But there's something greater than that. There's the, there's the love of God that overwhelms you. If you allow the love of God, the, the love of God will sweep you right off your feet. The love of God will wipe all of that guilt and shame and embarrassment from off your life if you will allow Him to do so. It's based on your response and how you respond today. Now, I believe that there are people here on this Resurrection Sunday that are ready to respond. I feel it in my heart. Some of you have been running and running. Maybe you're sitting in Phoenix. Maybe you're there in Hillcrest. And the other thing is there are those that are, you know, I'm not really like, I'm, I'm there, but I'm not really there. And you're half in and half out. Well, can I tell you, I believe it's time to get fully committed. I, I believe it's time to give yourself wholly, all of you. God, does, God doesn't want a quarter of you. He doesn't want you to give him like a fingernail on a Sunday. God, I'm giving you a fingernail. I'm coming to church. I'm doing you a favor. He wants all of you. He wants to be with you when you're driving in the car and you're having to go up country to, as, a, as a sales rep. He wants to be with you when you're in the shower. He wants to be at you, with you when you're about to lay your head at rest at night. He wants to be with you when you're eating your meal. He, wa he wants to be with you all the time. That's the God that we serve all the time. And so I'm going to pray for those of you right now, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. And you know that your life is not right. It's not what it should be. And you can pretend, I know. Pontius Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? You see, can I tell you what truth is? Truth is when you, re when you re realize who you are as you stand before the cross. Because the cross reveals the person of Christ. And when the person of Christ is revealed to you, the real you is introduced to you. So you can lie, you can fabricate, you can pretend, or you can say, what is the truth? Yeah, the truth is I'm, I'm away from God. Yeah, the truth is that I've actually become a little bit cold. The truth is I need to come back to God. 
the truth is, I feel this pull in my heart. I feel this tug in my heart. I can shake it off, but the truth is, it's there. That's God coming to you. I'm going to count to three right across the campus. When I get to three, I want you as an indication for me to pray for you. This is what's going on in your heart. And nobody needs to be shy. In fact, I want everybody right across the campuses right now to just begin to pray. If you're a believer, if you're a leader, I want everybody just to begin to pray right now. Some people are finding it difficult in this moment. There's a fight going on. There's a fight going on. Why? Because the lamb was slain. And the, and the line is about to be unveiled. And if I respond, man, that means the line will be unveiled in my life. And nobody going to stop somebody who knows the line has been unleashed in them. That's what the devil hates. When everybody just praying right now. Here we go. We, 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 we're going to count. All right. Here we go. One, two, two and a half. Three, lift your hand up high. Don't be shy. Here's my hand, Pastor. Giving you my hand right now. Giving you my, would you pray for me? God bless you. Anybody else across the campuses? Anybody else? Just wave your hand. You say, that's me. Here's my hand. I'm coming right now. Would you pray for me? Here's my hand. Here's my hand. Would you include me right now, Pastor John? I need you to pray for me. I see those hands in the various campuses right now. And all it is is you just responding to God. I'd like everybody to pray this prayer. All right, would you say after me, Heavenly Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name, just as I am with all of my faults, all of my failures, and all of my sin, and I ask you for forgiveness. Thank you for loving me so much. Today, right now, I receive eternal life and the forgiveness of all of my sins, and I know that when the lamb was slain, the line was unveiled. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the line of the tribe of Judah, that right now I belong to you, that right now you will protect me. You will be my strength. You will be my power. You will be my boldness. You will be my courage. My life will never be the same because the line in me has been unleashed and unveiled and I am a child of God I used to be a nobody but right now I am a somebody I am an heir of God joint heir with Christ Jesus I am a king and a priest unto my God and my life will never be the same in Jesus name Amen and Amen